Well, good morning, New Life Church and friends, and thank you again for joining us on Church Online this Friday. As Pedro said, we look forward to getting together soon physically and worshiping the Lord our God together. And please stay tuned for details and have a look on our website. Keep up to date with the, with the latest news. But we continue our study through the, with the Gospel of Luke, the mission of Jesus, and we have been going verse by verse through this wonderful Gospel. And it has been several chapters since Luke has mentioned uh, John the Baptist, um, the cousin of Jesus. And the last time we heard of John, he was preaching and he was baptizing and he was drawing incredibly large crowds to his ministry in the desert region around the Jordan River. And eventually, we know and we've seen, Jesus was baptized by John. We saw that in Luke chapter 3. And he began his ministry and Jesus himself soon drew large crowds as they were listening to his teachings. But then Luke tells us that because John dared to reprove King Herod for unlawfully marrying his brother's wife, Herod had John thrown into prison. And after suffering in prison for six to eight months, John began wondering whether Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah. And so he sent two messengers to Jesus to ask him what was going on. And that is what we will be um, studying in our passage this morning. And let's read about Jesus' meeting with these messengers from John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7. So they read with me from Luke 7 verse 18 to verse 35. So verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Verse 22, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? And behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and living in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? Notice that is mentioned three times. A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And I tell you, among those born of women, None is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, 
not having been baptized by him. Verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. At some time or another, I think every thinking person has wrestled with the problem of doubt. How can I be sure that Christianity is true? What if I have put all my hope in Christ, but I'm wrong? Um, what if there is no heaven or hell? What if critics are right and the Bible is not the, the Word of God? And questions of this sort can, can nag at our, at our heart, even of the most sincere believers. Maybe you have been wrestling with the problem of doubt during the isolation of this coronavirus pandemic and this lockdown that we find ourselves in. Maybe you have asked, where are you, Jesus? Or maybe you have been tempted to question, just like, just like John the Baptist did. Maybe you've been tempted to ask, Jesus, are you even the, the Son of God? And the title of my message this morning is called, How to Respond in Faith. How to Respond in Faith. And we will see this as John himself wrestles with these struggles. But we see in our passage this morning that, that after John had been imprisoned and he was left there isolated for, for many, many months, he started wondering whether Jesus was in fact this long-expected promised Messiah. And so John sends two messengers to Jesus to find out who he was. And if you have struggled with doubt, then this passage this morning will help you. It will meet you where you are from the Scriptures. And Luke wants his readers to wrestle with the question of Jesus' true identity and with the response of faith that Jesus' identity demands. And to understand this text and to deal properly with our, our own doubts, we must recognize that there are two kinds of doubters that are portrayed here in our passage. Two types of doubters. In John, we see the doubts of a godly man who was confused on, on account of the, the difficult circumstances that he finds himself in. Um, he couldn't understand, he couldn't reconcile his understanding of the, the Messiah's ministry with the fact that, that he, as the Messiah's messenger, was stuck in this prison while the, the wicked Herod continued to flourish. And then there's a second group of doubters, and they are the total opposite of John. They are represented by the Pharisees. They are not godly like, like John was. And they were supposed to be the experts in the, the Jewish law. But we know from what we've already studied about these Pharisees they did not want to face their own sin. 
And we know that they did not even want to admit their sin. They refused to repent. They refused to listen to the message of John the Baptist. And they were not just doubters, they were sinful mockers. Sinful mockers of even Jesus and the word that even John himself was preaching. And these were people that were very different from John. They were unsubmissive, they were rebellious, and their hearts were hard to God. So two types of people that we see here that were struggling with doubt in our passage this morning. And my first point this morning is from verse 18 to verse 23. And we see John's question and um, we see the reply of Jesus. So during the, the early part of Jesus' ministry, we know that he was very popular. Um, although he did occasionally encounter opposition, the people, by and large, they accepted Jesus. Um, the, his message and his miracles were making a profound impact on the people that he was ministering to. Uh, Jesus healed all kinds of diseases. Uh, we see that in chapter 4. We see in chapter 5, uh, in chapter f the end of chapter 4, Jesus was casting out demons. Uh, we see in chapter 5 that he was preaching to great crowds. Uh, we see at the end of chapter 5 that he was feasting in people's homes, very, very social and very warm towards the people that were around him. Uh, we see in chapter 7, um, he was healing the centurion servant who, who was a Gentile. Um, we saw last week that he even raised the dead. And so the disciples of John reported all of these things that they had seen to him while he was in prison. And that's where we find ourselves here in this passage this morning. But unfortunately, John was still stuck in prison. John had obeyed God's call on his life uh, we see in chapter 3, when the word of God came to John, the, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was his message. And you remember his message. He said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by them, he said to them in Luke chapter 3, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We see in verse 9, he warned them of the coming judgment and said to them, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This was his message. This was what he was speaking to the, the Pharisees. So in many ways, John's message was a, a message of judgment, a message of repentance. And Jesus' ministry, on the other hand, was not of judgment. It was a ministry of proclaiming good news to the poor and liberty to the, the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and setting at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. We see that in, in Luke chapter 4. There was no emphasis on judgment in Jesus' ministry. And that must have puzzled John. That must have confused him. So John here 
calls two of his own disciples and he sends them to, to Jesus asking this question right here that we see in verse 19. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Please look at that verse in your Bible. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So off they go. They went to Jesus and the scriptures tell us in verse 21 that when they got to Jesus, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. So it's almost as if the men were going to interrupt Jesus to, to ask a question. But Jesus was obviously busy healing people and uh, they didn't ask the question. But finally, when Jesus was finished, finished casting out demons and finished casting out people, he turned to these men to find out what they want. But after seeing what Jesus had done, you, know, you can imagine what was going in the minds of these disciples of, of John the Baptist. Maybe one disciple said, you, you, you ask him. And, and another says, no, 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 why don't, why don't you ask him? Um, and so he asks, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Now I want to point out that when John had doubts about Jesus, he went directly to Jesus for an answer. He did not sit and brood and, and stew in his doubt while he was locked away in prison. And so often I think when believers have doubts, we don't go to Jesus for answer, for the answer that we need. We don't go to the scriptures and search the Bible for the answers that we need. Instead, we will Google or we'll go to a YouTube channel. We try and find somebody else's opinion on this matter. And we can become more and more confused when we look to the world for answers. We need to go to God's Word and examine our doubts in light of His revealed truth. And notice the wonderful, gracious answer of Jesus to John's messengers in verse 22. He doesn't rebuke John, but he answers them in verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. But this is not a yes or no answer, okay? Notice that by, by pointing John to the miracles that he was performing and the message that he was proclaiming, he was reminding John of Scripture. He was reminding John of several Old Testament passages that John would have known about as evidence, as evidence that he would need. And we see passages such as Isaiah 26 and Daniel chapter 12 that point to the, the resurrection of the dead associated with the, the advent of the Messiah. We see in Isaiah 35 that talks about the, the healing of the blind and the lame and, and the deaf with the Messiah. 
We see again in Isaiah 61, describes the, the preaching of the good news to the poor, to the captives, to the oppressed, and to the, the spiritually blind sinners. These were passages that John the Baptist would have known about. Remember, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He knew the Old Testament. And Jesus is referring to these passages, reminding him of what his disciples were seeing, a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I don't want you to miss an important point here in Jesus' answer to John. Yes, the blind were receiving sight. Yes, the lame were walking. And the lepers were being cleansed. And the deaf were beginning to hear. And even the dead are, are raised up. But the most important aspect of, of Jesus' ministry is that the poor have good news preached to them. It is one thing to have physical healing, but it's a completely different thing to have spiritual healing. And the people who were blind and lame and deaf and were healed weren't healed for eternity. They would eventually die because their bodies were corrupt and their bodies were cursed and they would die anyway. Even the dead people that Jesus raised up to life, they weren't raised for eternity in their physical bodies, they would eventually die. But if their souls were not reconciled to God, their physical healing was all for nothing. It would be all for nothing. And people desperately need to be reconciled with God. This was the emphasis of Jesus' answer to, to John. So what he's saying to John, yes, John, I am the long-awaited, expected Messiah. Jesus is the one born to set his people free, free from sin and free from death. He is the one who, from our fears and our sins, he releases us from these, these terrible bondages. And the reason he did miracles was to authenticate his message that he was and he is the savior of sinners. And that is why preaching the good news is so important. That's why preaching the good news is so important. But then look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus told John's messengers, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So the one who believes that Jesus is the long-expected promised Messiah will be blessed. That's basically what the verse is saying. And he will never be disappointed. He will be blessed. He will not be offended. The opposite of offended. He will be blessed. And that leads to my second point. We see in verse 24 to verse 28, we see the, the commendation of John from Jesus. So when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, telling them about how great John was. And Jesus gives John the highest um, imaginable commendation. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
Now remember, John is not talking to the messengers here. He's talking to the crowd where the Pharisees were present. First question, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Second repeated question, what then did you go out to see? Verse 25, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Verse 26, another repetition. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. Now remember, this is Jesus' answer. He's, he's now speaking to the, the crowd. The crowd has seen John's messengers speak to Jesus. And now John is address, sorry, Jesus is addressing the crowd that he is, he is speaking to. And he's telling them of how great John the Baptist is. And he's using the example of John the Baptist to convict these people of their own sinful, rebellious heart attitudes. And he asks them a number of questions here. He says, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Now when you think of soft clothing, you should think of comfort. So maybe a, a silk, luxurious um, material or some fabric that, that is expensive. And these Pharisees were, were used to the, the good life, the, the comfortable life. They were used to the, the leisure and they wondered whether or not John's message promoted the same message that would enhance their lifestyle. And we know that was not the message that John preached. We know John was far from somebody who wore luxurious clothes. Um, he, wore, he wore clothes for the desert, clothes that were not comfortable, um, but unfortunately, in our, in our day and age, we live in a time where many preachers and many churches have embraced this type of teaching. There are many churches that promote a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And I've spoken about this many times. This is not the gospel that John preached about. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached about. It is the gospel that these Pharisees wanted. It was the message that they were hoping to hear. But this is not the gospel of the Word of God. God never promised believers comforts here on this earth. He promised to provide what we, we need. He doesn't promise to fulfill our greeds. The promise we have is in heaven waiting for us. It can never be taken away. And John's life, remember, was a hard life. But he laid up treasures for himself in heaven. This was not his home where he built castles in the sand, folks. He knew his home was waiting for him in heaven where he would finally be able to enjoy the wonderful presence of the Lord. And sadly, unfortunately, today there are many pastors, and, and not just pastors, there are even Christians who just attend the, the services, who have embraced this message, who have compromised on what the, the Scripture teaches to consume 
upon their own lusts or the worldly things that, that they like to enjoy. And have compromised for the sake for the sake of money. We see in verse twenty six, John was a prophet, and he was more than a prophet. The scriptures tell us that he was the very messenger of God. We see that in, in Malachi chapter three, the very messenger whom God had promised to prepare the way before the Messiah. So our Savior commends John for his clear preaching of the gospel. He didn't compromise the gospel. He spoke exactly what the Bible said about the Messiah from the Old Testament. Um, he, was, he was more than a prophet, as the, the, the scripture says here. Uh, he pointed out Christ more clearly and more fully than any of the prophets before him. Obviously, he had the advantage of knowing Jesus. He had the advantage of living with Jesus amongst even his own family circle. And he had the advantage of pointing people to the person that he knew, the person, the Messiah. We know the ancient prophets didn't have this advantage. They, they beheld Christ from afar. But John saw him face to face. And they prophesied of him, but he pointed at him, saying, This is he. And there were many in that day who perverted the right ways to God. And we know that as we studied in Matthew 23, the, the hypocritical Pharisees. Rather than pointing people to God, they pointed people away from God. They stood in the way of the door to heaven. We saw that already. But John the Baptist, he sounded a very clear, a very distinct message. There was nothing false about him. John's message cut directly to the heart of those who were listening, of those who even who were, who were in, a, in attendance. His message brought conviction upon sinners of his day because of the power of the Spirit of God that was upon him. John the Baptist was not a compromiser. He wasn't a reed blowing in the wind, nor was he a, a popular celebrity you know, enjoying the, the friendships of great pe people and, and the pleasures of wealth, John did not waver. He did not weaken no matter what people said about him or what people even did to him. He was bold and courageous. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Warren Wiersbe, he once said, what we think of ourselves or what others think of us is not as important as what God thinks, as what God thinks of us. And I think there's a wonderful message here for us, looking at the example of John. We shouldn't care what the world is saying about us. You know, we shouldn't be yielding to the winds of this world. And one preacher said once, you plus God equals a majority. And I've always remembered that. And I've stored that up in my mind when, when, I'm, in, when, I'm, when I'm struggling with doubt. You plus God always is a majority. Even though the world may despise us, and even though our hearts may fail us, and our flesh becomes weak, 
we should aim at pleasing Christ, not man. And as we bear a, a faithful witness to Christ, so Christ will bear witness to our faithfulness for Him. And remember, this world is not our home. We live for eternity, folks. We set our eyes upon eternity, not the things of this world. And what God thinks of us should be important to us if we want to please our Master and our Savior and our King. And I think this passage is telling all of us that we need to be grounded and rooted in the Lord. If we're going to overcome doubt, if we're going to overcome despair, we need to make sure that our foundation is built on the solid rock, that our roots are deeply entrenched in the living Word. And as we've been learning from the children's talks, and I hope you've been watching the children's talks, parents and adults, because they are for, for all of us, not just for the children. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the devil in the evil day. And that's what John did. And that's what we need to be doing. John the Baptist was not a compromiser even though he was struggling with doubt and despair. Notice that. He was a godly man who had these doubts, but he still did not compromise. We see that even in the Scriptures. This is not just unique to John. Even the greatest men of God are still men of the flesh, and they still are subject to times of, of worry and doubt and, and despair. Think of the mighty prophet Elijah, his faith wavered. Remember when he ran away from wicked uh, Jezebel when um, she had all of the, the prophets slain and she wanted him dead and, and Elijah was praying to God, please, you kill me rather. And unlike Elijah, this, this comparison here is, is, is clear for us. It's, it's important for us. Elijah had all these fantastic supernatural powers. Remember that. John the Baptist didn't. He performed no miracles. When the wicked Herod decided to imprison him, John didn't call down fire from heaven to consume the, the soldiers that were arresting him. Now his prayers and the prayers of his disciples on his behalf to get him out of prison weren't answered positively. Notice that. John sat in that dark dungeon day after day. He ate the, the meager diet of, of bread and water. And he must have wondered, and we know he did, if Jesus is the Messiah, then why am I still locked up in prison? But notice here, folks, even the most godly people are not exempt. They are not excluded from trials, from fiery trials, difficult trials. I remember visiting a church in South Africa while we were on holiday visiting Kerry's parents. There was a lady in one of the churches that we went to on a Sunday who was in a wheelchair sitting in the front row. And during the sermon, this speaker pointed this lady out in and said to everybody, pray for, for Mrs. So-and-so. I can't remember what her name was. Pray that she will have more faith 
so that God will heal her. What the preacher was saying basically was that this lady had not been healed yet because she didn't have enough faith. What a terrible lie! What a terrible and a horrible thing to say about that dear lady. I mean, why was he talking about her faith at that point? What a terrible lie. And I'm sure many other people have heard similar lies. You're not healed because you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. And folks, God sometimes chooses not to heal. And it's not because of our faith. It's because of His will. It's because He is perfect and He has a plan. And we need to trust Him for that even though we may not understand it. It's not that God doesn't answer our prayers. He does. But He does it in, in one of three ways. He answers either with a yes or He answers with a no or He answers with a wait. Yes, no or wait. And John's prayers weren't answered with a yes. John's prayers weren't answered with a wait. In fact, they were answered with a no. As godly as he was, God said no to his requests. It was God's will for him to stay in prison and eventually die. And we know how he died. He was beheaded. Why did God choose to do that? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not God. When we get to heaven one day, we can ask God that. But folks, we can trust the character of God. He had a purpose for that. And now we look back at the testimony of John and we see his faithfulness recorded for us forever and ever in these scriptures. And we are encouraged, even now, when our prayers may not be answered, even now, when we are going through terrible struggles and terrible times. And we can look at John the Baptist and we can see that we can trust our God who is good and has a perfect plan and is a righteous Savior. And our Savior commends John in this passage. He commends John. He tells us that we need to look to John when we're going through a time of difficult trials, when it seems that God is ignoring our prayers, we need to be careful and not listen to the lies of the devil and not be persuaded that God is not good. We need to guard ourselves, put on this, this armor of God. You know, Peter wrote about enduring firing trials in, in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look what the, the scriptures say. This is in context of trials. He said in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then he adds, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are, be ex are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your trials that you are going through does not mean that God does not exist. 
just because we are in terrible circumstances at the moment, it does not mean that God is not hearing your prayers or that He has somehow lost control as the, the sovereign of this universe. Hang on by faith, knowing that He will use this trial to, to strengthen and establish you. And Peter goes on to instruct us, even a few verses before, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties, casting all your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. We don't need to doubt God's sovereignty. And we don't need to listen to the lies of the devil and doubt the love of God when we go through these extended trials. We have the scriptures to tell us that. We have the scriptures to help us understand that. Dig deep, folks, when we do experience these trials. Go to the Lord. Find your comfort here in the scriptures. My third point this morning, we see in verse 29 to verse 35, we see now Jesus rebuking these leaders. We see Jesus rebuking these leaders. And here Luke makes a comment about two groups of people in this passage. Those who believe in him and of course those who do not believe in him. And those who believe in Jesus are described in verse 29. Look at verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Those are the believers. And then look at verse 30. On the other hand, those who do not believe in Jesus, these are described here in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. Isn't that still what we find in our own day to day. Now, there are always two groups of people. Those who reject and those who embrace. Some agree with God and others reject the purposes of God for themselves. Some say yes to God and others say no to the truths about Jesus as the Son of God. And here Jesus asks a third key question in verse 31. Look at verse 31. He says to them, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? So the rest of the passage here now, Jesus is using these children in front of him as an illustration. And children in uh, those days, just like children in our day, they like to play uh, make-believe games, don't they? And the two common games in those days... Remember, they didn't have Playstations and they didn't have Xboxes, so a lot of their, their games were um, done by their imagination. And we see here from the passage um, recorded for us that they were playing a game of a funeral and they were playing a game of a wedding. Two types of funerals, uh, two types of games. And one group of children would pretend that they were in a wedding and they were imitating the bride and the groom and the party and the joyous occasion and the maid of honor and the best man and the party and there was dancing and we know that there was a flute. And the other group of children were pretending that there was a funeral. Maybe these were much more 
sadder, morbid children. I'm not sure, but there probably was a, somebody who pretended to be dead and they were carrying him um, on, the, on a funeral bier and there must have been family members and mourners and, and a whole procession. Everyday things that they had seen the adults do, they were now mimicking and playing and imitating. And of course they would sing a dirge and they would pretend to, to weep. So two different um, children, groups of children playing two different types of games. And this is what Jesus is describing in verse 32. Look at verse 32. He says, These children, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. So these children, they are, they are bickering. They're, they're fighting. The one group wants to play uh, weddings, uh, marriage, marriage, and the other group wants to play funeral, funeral. And the children refuse to play with each other. Uh, and by the way, some commentators, they refer to this illustration as the parable of the brats. And that's what these children were. They were, they were acting like little brats, unwilling to cooperate, unwilling to be, um, un unwilling to be satisfied. Spoiled children in many ways. And very simply, in clear language, Jesus makes the application of the spoiled children um, to himself and to John. John was the funeral game, but Jesus was the wedding game. Remember, John didn't interact with people at all. His message was one of judgment. He didn't hang around with people. Um, people feared him. He lived out in the desert. He was a prophet. Uh, but Jesus was much more social than John was. He interacted with people all the time. John kept himself separate from everybody. Um, remember, his Nazarite vow that he made uh, separated him. He wasn't able to join weddings. He wasn't able to drink wine. He wasn't able to drink all the foods that eat the foods that everybody else would be eating. But Jesus didn't make that Nazarite vow. Jesus was available to everybody. And the sinners chose to hang out with Jesus. And they, they wanted to, to hear his message of grace. They wanted to hear his message of forgiveness. And, and even, even the Pharisees, they, they said about Jesus, he's a glutton. And we know a glutton is a person um, that, that, that was eating too much and they were trying to find things about Jesus um, to, to ruin his reputation. But he was at the weddings and of course what they were saying was false. They said he was a drunkard because he was at weddings, um, involved with people who were, who were drinking at, at weddings, at wine. They said that he was um, the friend of scum. They said that he was friend of prostitutes that he was friend of, of tax collectors, uh, of the low life of society. And they blasphemed him and they tried to ruin his reputation. And these were the people that were not satisfied with Jesus. Now they were fickle. They were inconsistent and, and they were abusive. And John, Jesus says the people of that generation reject, rejected John and they rejected Jesus. They rejected this, this funeral game and they rejected this wedding game. Wonderful picture here for us to see. These people were acting like these spoiled brats. Remember earlier I said that there were two kinds of doubters that are, that are pictured in our passage. 
And Jesus is, of course, addressing these Pharisees. These Pharisees, they are the group who were the experts in the Jewish law, who were rebellious against what Jesus was teaching, who rebelled, refused to submit. They were not just doubters, they were mockers. They were unsubmissive and ultimately rejected Jesus and put him on the cross, got him killed. And the very people who knew the scriptures, and the people who should have even welcomed the message that, that John was preaching as the Messiah to whom John was pointed, they, they did not. They refused to do that. They rejected God's purposes and refused to humble themselves to be baptized even by John. And it was their pride that kept them from acknowledging themselves as sinners and from participating in an activity such as baptism. And we know the, the scriptures and they were saying how hard these Pharisees were. And so they missed God's purpose from John's ministry and they missed God's Messiah whom John had pointed to. Now, let me apply this to our doubt. Let me apply this to our doubt. I think the reason that these people would not submit to God was because of a heart attitude. I really do. They were unsatisfied with what John was preaching. They were unsatisfied with what Jesus was preaching. They wanted their own way of life. They wanted their own set of rules. And they struggled with unrepentance. And I think sometimes when we struggle with doubt... It's because of an issue with our hearts. I think it's because we are struggling with a sin. And we are not repenting of that sin. And we tend to run towards our own set of rules and make up our own set of rules so that we can enjoy different sins rather than submitting to what the Scriptures have to say. And that's why we struggle sometimes because we are so far away from what God has said. Rather, we have made up our own set of instructions to rule our hearts. And we know that is corrupt. Is our heart truly subject to God's revelation in Jesus Christ? Are we truly submitting to Jesus Christ? Have I bowed before God's righteous judgment regarding my sin? Have I repented of my sins? Have I laid hold of God's provision of salvation in Jesus Christ? Have I publicly confessed my repentance and faith in Christ through baptism? If you're a believer and haven't been baptized, why not? Are you struggling with doubt? Well, maybe that's an area that you need to get right with God. Or could my doubts just simply be an excuse so that I can continue running my own life according to my own way? Remember to look to the person of Jesus Christ. Look to the work of Christ himself when you are struggling with doubt. And Jesus told John's disciples to go and tell John what they had seen and heard and then catalogued his many miracles that fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. And Jesus is saying, 
Look at my life. Look at my, my ministry. He worked miracles by the, by the power of God to authenticate who he was. And he preached the good news of salvation to the poor who society had disregarded. But also he affirms here that John was the messenger predicted by Malachi, which also affirms that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So when we struggle with doubt, when we struggle, go back to the basic question. Who is Jesus? Read the Old Testament prophecies. Read the Gospels. Could he be a, a charlatan? Could he be somebody who was doing this to deceive others? Read the Scriptures. Does his life and does his teaching show us that he in fact was true? That he's not a false prophet? In John chapter 6, Jesus taught some difficult things and as a result, many who had been following him eventually withdrew and left him. And Jesus asks the, the twelve who had stayed behind, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Peter gave this great reply. Remember the reply in, in John chapter 6. This is Peter's reply in John chapter 6 verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the only, sorry, the Holy One of God. When you struggle with doubt, when you struggle with doubt, look to the Holy One of God. Look to the person and the work of Jesus Christ Himself. If you, like me, I'm sure... You have experienced many times, just like Peter did, when we've struggled with a hard saying of Jesus or a difficult passage in the Scriptures or even a, a personal matter that, that seems to, to undermine the, the truth of, of God's Word. And very often, I've had to go back to the basics. and I've had to ask myself, who is Jesus? Where else can I go? I know that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The scriptures tell us. He is the, the promised Messiah. He is the only Savior. He is risen from the dead. And I may not understand everything. And you may not understand everything. But if we cling to Jesus through these storms of doubt, through these storms of, of despair, the storm will eventually calm down. If we hold on fast to the rock, we will be able to manage this storm, to deal with our doubts, make sure that your heart is in submission to God. You will not be able to deal with these storms if you are not willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if your heart is right, Look to God's revelation about His Son and hold on to it despite your difficult circumstances. And these are difficult circumstances we find ourselves in, folks. And I have no doubt that the Lord has allowed these circumstances to build our faith, to build our faith. 
So won't you pray with me that the Lord would help our unbelief. If you have struggled during this time with doubt and despair, pray with me that the Lord would help our unbelief. And we know that the Lord will answer our prayer and the Lord will give us the aid that we need when the timing is right, if we trust Him and we hold on to Him during these storms. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning, please, Lord, we fail you and we ask you to forgive us for that. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And many times, Lord, we fall into despair and anxiety when you tell us we shouldn't. Lord, sometimes we even just fall into, into fleshly, worldly sin when we shouldn't. We know what your word says, but we choose to follow our own paths. And even though your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths, we reject that light and we, we follow after the things of the world and the, the, the sinful darkness that this world entices us with. And Lord, we pray that you forgive us. We ask, Lord, as we've seen from your word today, as we've seen from the example of John, even in his circumstance, he trusted you because his heart was right with you. Please, Lord, I ask that if there are people amongst us who are listening this morning whose hearts are not right with you and have not submitted to your word and to your will but are pursuing their own fleshly sinful ways that you would minister to their hearts today and that you would grant them the repentance that they need and that you give them a a heart of flesh that they would call upon the name of Jesus today for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, you've told us that you would help us. Lord, even though we believe, we ask this morning that you will help our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, when we waver. Forgive us, Lord, when our faith is not what it should be. You would increase our faith, Lord, and that you would be honored today that you would be honored this week as we go out into the world, as we experience different conditions that we may face. And I know there are many at this moment who are, are waiting to hear whether they still have a job or many who have been told that they don't have a job and find themselves in these difficult situations. These situations are not going away quickly, Lord, because you have made it to be like that. So we pray, Lord, despite the situations we find ourselves in, despite the circumstances, that you would grow us and that you would build us and our foundation will stand firm for your glory, Lord, and that we would point people to our gracious King and our Lord and our Savior, even through the storms. I ask this prayer in the name of our Savior for his glory and for the joy of his people. Amen. Well, please respond with me in song this morning as we sing together our, our last song, Overcome. <laughs> 